Welcome to a talk from St. Saviour's Sunbury. We hope that it blesses you. We're going to look at Exodus chapter 3 and chapter 4. So, a really familiar story. And you know your kid's work is going well. When you say to your son, I haven't got a clue what I'm talking about tomorrow morning, and this is my subject, and I'm speaking from this book of the Bible, and he tells you the story. So that is how good our kids' work is. And apparently, he's also volunteered to do the sermon next Sunday at this service. So, (laughs) just something I vague. So he doesn't suffer from any of this that we're going to be talking from this morning, obviously. Exodus chapter 3, and we're going to start at verse 10. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what's his name? Then what should I tell him? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. Chapter 4, back to verse 10. Moses is still prevaricating. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Or maybe, now go and I will tell you what to do and what to say. And Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. How many of you feel a bit like Moses? Oh, not many. Now, honestly, how many of you feel like Moses? Really? And the rest of you, you're not really playing the game, are you? You're not really being honest, because you haven't quite got to that place yet. I can totally, totally identify with Moses. The first time God spoke to me, I'm actually quite surprised I wasn't surprised. But the first time God spoke to me, I'd asked him a question. I said, God, what do you want me to do? And he told me. And he said, I want you to go, and I want you to be a Salvation Army officer. Now, for those of you that don't know, that's the equivalent of being a vicar. I was... 20. I had had a really hard teenage life. 
Looking back now, I think I was probably depressed, all of that. I'd contemplated suicide, only had decided I wasn't going to be very good at that, and I'd probably end up in a worse place, so, so didn't give that a go. And I'd become a Christian. I'd been on a really rough journey. I had been to Sunday school from the age of four, but I have non-Christian parents. And I went to church. Like my son, I could tell you all the verses. My one claim to fame is that I won the competition in Sunday school where they gave you the Bible reference, and I got there first. It's the only prize I've ever won. I knew the Bible. I knew where to find it. I'd been to the missions. Forget Andrew Palau, I was there when his dad did it. Anybody else there, QPR 1980? We were there. I went forward. I heard the message. I was given a little book. I was prayed with. I was sent back to my church. We had a mission in our town and I went to that one and I went forward again. And for years, I was thinking, I know what it means to be a Christian, but I don't really think I'm doing it right. It wasn't until I was 18 and I changed churches. I was on a bit of a journey of the churches then. And I finally came into the Salvation Army where they did what we were doing, uh, roaded earlier. Every week, there was the opportunity to stand up and say, what had God done or told you this week? And that was the first time I heard that God did something every week. Because at those missions, at those big things, they'd have this little old lady, you know, the saint, who'd been on the journey for 60 years. And she would say, I met God when I was 15, and I've been a, I've been a Christian ever since. But we never heard what happened in the meantime. And suddenly, here were people who were saying, this week, God did. Yesterday, God said. On the way to church, God did. And I suddenly realized that being a Christian wasn't about keeping rules. It was about a relationship. I come from a family that love rules. There were rules for everything. And that made me a really insecure teenager. Because where there were no rules, I didn't know how to be. One of my boyfriends once, looking at my photograph album, said, you're always in uniform. Because where there's a uniform, there's a rule. And I wanted to know I was doing it right because then I was going to be an okay person. Suddenly, I believed that being a Christian meant having a relationship. Do you know how scary that was to someone like me? I didn't know about relationships. My relationship with my parents was... I was okay. I was a teenager. I never rebelled. 
I never did the smoking, drinking, whatever thing. I didn't really do the staying out at night thing. But I couldn't talk to my parents. I couldn't come and say, do you know what happened at school yesterday, Mum? Because I was so afraid of being judged. I was so afraid of being told I'd done something wrong. I was so afraid of being laughed at. And now here I was, learning that being a Christian is about relationship and about having a father, and this father loves you. And I didn't know that my dad loved me. I can, uh, Toby mentioned this when he was talking. My dad was 28 the first time my dad told me he loved me. I was 28 and I was leaving home. I didn't know what it meant to be loved. I didn't know what it meant to have a relationship. And I started seriously thinking, what does it mean to be a Christian? I started reading my Bible in a new way. I got a new set of Bible reading notes that ask you to sit and listen to what God is saying to you. And I cried a lot. I cried a lot because I was continually told, God loves you. And I was continually feeling I am not worthy of being loved. Why should you love someone like me? And I struggled with that for years. I'm better now, but there's still days. But that was my struggle. Why should you love someone like me? I am not worthy. And then God comes along and said, and actually I want you to do this thing. People like me don't go and do this thing. The popular people go and do this thing. The people that have been house captain at school go and do this thing. The people that are good at saying, we're going to go do this, and everybody says, yay, go and do this thing. Not me. Not me, who was really good at her exams, kept out of trouble, had a nice, safe job, did as she was told, although she argued a bit about it sometimes. People like me don't do that. So I had an excuse after people like me don't do it. I said, but I can't do God. And like Moses, I said, I can't speak. I can't stand up and preach a sermon. And over a series of dreams, God revealed to me that indeed he would equip me and that I could. He totally heard what I said. He's not a God who says, oh yeah, it's going to be fine. He's like, you need a bit more than that, don't you, Julie? Well, I'm going to give you a bit more. And I'm going to give you people who will come alongside you and will encourage you. I, God, I'm going to talk to you, but I'm going to put these people there. 
I'm going to put these people there that will give you the opportunity to do all the things you really don't think you can do. And then I'm going to put an amazing congregation there who are going to encourage you and cheer you on afterwards. And actually, I'm not going to make you afraid of doing it. The first time I got up to preach, I was with a group of people that were going to be Salvation Army officers, and we'd gone to a different church for the weekend, and they said, you're preaching. I'm like, well, I've never preached before. I, haven't, I don't know how to start preaching. They said, you've got 15 minutes. I got up, and I stood there, and I, I read what I got on my piece of paper, and I sat down, and I've been there two minutes. You can see I've got a bit better at it since then. But the leader was very encouraging. He said, you could have gone on for a bit longer. But in my head, my messaging was people don't like to listen to me. People don't laugh at my stories. People are too busy talking to other people. And, and, and when I'm speaking, they go off and talk to them. And they don't want to hear from me. So two minutes of un uninterrupted speaking was a lot. I love to quote from books. I love books. I love to read. And when I came into the job I'm in now um, 18 years ago, I used to quote authors a lot. And my line manager said at the time, you can say what you think, it's okay. You can say what you think, it's okay. You don't need to have all that there. What you say is valuable. It has meaning. Now I still like books and I'm still gonna wave a book at you this morning. But I now feel free to say, but this is what I think. God had to take away all those beliefs I'd got in my head. All those self-limiting beliefs, psychologists will call them. All the things that I bought up through my life whether I twisted something my parents had said or whether they'd actually said it, where they'd actually said, oh, you're just useless. You're no good at anything. And I'd taken that and I believed it. And it has taken years and years and years to unpack it. And every now and then, I discover a new one that I hadn't realized was there in the first place. And every now and then, somebody does something that reinforces that message that I had years ago. Maybe I'm mid-story and they interrupt, and I go, oh, nobody wants to listen to this, I just won't bother finishing it. But God knew. God knows what I can do. Because I can do as much as I let him do in me. 
because I am not good enough. None of us are good enough on our own. We are only as good as God working in us. This book, which is great, it's called Unqualified. It's by an American pastor called Stephen Furtick. It's great and talks a lot about these passages. And he looks at that name. God says, I am. That's what I'm called. I am. And Stephen Furtick says, what are the things that you as an individual put after that I am? I'm not good enough. I'm too fat. I'm too thin. I'm too loud. I'm too quiet. I'm too talkative. I'm too shy. But that I am is God's name. So you're saying God is too loud, too thin, too fat, too quiet, too short. Because if you've become a Christian and received God, God is in you. So every time you say, I am not good enough, you're saying God is not good enough. We are not good enough on our own. We have to work with God and we have to work with each other. Without those people. And part of the reason I took a long time to heal was because the two people that had been closest to me died within two weeks of each other just after I'd left that church to go into training. God puts us here to work with each other. We can't do it on our own. We're never supposed to do it on our own. I am part of a body. I might be doing one bit one day and doing another bit another day, but we are all here. And that's what matters. God gave birth to Adam and Eve. And we had to have Eve because it was not good for Adam to be on his own. We have God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three. We have our self-limiting beliefs, and sometimes those self-limiting beliefs stop us working with each other. One of my values is to do things the best way they can be done. Which means if I find somebody that can do it better, I'm going to give it to them to do. I am never going to do a visual up there because Rick's and Nisha and loads of other people are far better at it than me. And we know that. But there are days when I could do things that I still find people that I consider better. And I say, oh, I'm going to get Pauline to do a visual. You'd like that, wouldn't you, Pauline? (laughs) Could find the most person that had never touched a computer and get them to do it. And I would have convinced myself that they are going to be better at it than me. We've got to make sure that we don't use our beliefs as an excuse. 
that when somebody comes up to us and says, Julie, you're really good at this, I in mock humility. Don't say, oh, no, 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 no. Ricks is much better at it. Go and ask him. You're good at flower arranging, aren't you, Ricks? Because I want an excuse. Oh, mum's better. Rani, good. That's worth knowing. Because I just don't want to do it. Because I'm scared I might fail. Because I don't want to put myself out there. And I use somebody else as an excuse. So, what's your story? How are you like Moses? Are you not trusting God enough that he can do what he says he can do? That if he says to you, Katrina, you're going to run the marathon next year in my honor. She's thinking about it. If she says, row, oh, do you know, I think full vicar garb. Whatever he says, the most unbelievable thing. Are you not believing that God has, knows what he's asking you to do? You have got to believe in him. And when you say, I can, and when he asks you, and when somebody else says, this is what I see in you, that God will work with you in that. Because you're in relationship together. If you're not in relationship with him, that is a whole other ballgame, and you need to get in relationship with him first. He can transform our lives. But you have got to unlock it. Because he says, I stand at the door and knock. And we have to give it. It's quite convenient to hold on to that belief that I can't do. Because it stops us having to try. You're going to unlock that belief and say, actually, I could do it with God. I hold on to that belief that um, Stuart is always going to be a better drummer than me. I think, actually, do you know, maybe Stuart could teach me to drum. What is it that you are just holding on to so tight that you haven't, like Moses, seen the full potential that he wants you to do? As we worship, as we respond, ask God, what is the truth about me? And what are you wanting me to do? And then respond. If you've never responded to that relationship, come respond to that relationship with him. If you've never responded to what he's asking you to do, respond. Come and pray with the prayer team. Take that walk of faith to say, God, I'm stepping out, I'm walking across this floor, and that is me unlocking the door, and that is me letting you in to do what you want to do in my life. I'm going to invite Ro and the worship group back. For more information about St. Saviour's, please visit www.saintsaviorsunbury.org.uk.